Hello, Great Minds. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History, and what is likely to be the most narcissistic episode to date, as it is Mr. DGMH's birthday special. Is Sherry coming? Sherry could not come. She has a family event, I think, that she had to participate in, yes. She was up in the air. She said she was coming. She was intrigued by the idea of trying to outwit me. Um, <laughs> and um, that she, she she couldn't make it. Anyway, so, so welcome to the show, everyone. I can't really tell you what we have planned for tonight, as I did not plan tonight's episode. And that means that for once, all the shit show shenanigans that go on can be blamed on Cullen and Luke this time. <laughs> Here's all I know. They told me to pick a topic I love in history. I said monarchs and Portugal. They told me they were going to ask me some questions, but somehow not make me sound stupid in the process. Process. Eh, processed. Oh, great start. <laughs> and apparently there's a special guest. So we will see who that is in just a little bit. But tonight I am joined by my high school history teacher, Colin Farrell. Hi, Colin. How are you? Oh, good. What's up? Uh, we're just uh, cooking up here in Pittsburgh area or North area. It's like 90 some degrees. So we, we live in the Florida. furnace. Okay. We are yeah, always right, cooking right. down, <laughs> yeah. uh, down in Florida. And just a disclaimer, Cullen is recording outside because his neighborhood is throwing a block party. And this was the furthest he could get away from yes. said block party uh, to record. <laughs> so if you hear a honk, a person or something, a cricket, or a dog, yeah, something. <laughs> if your dog is probably Kelly, so right. <laughs> uh, right. Of course, we're also joined by the first lady of shots, Kelly Rosell. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. Happy birthday, Zach. Oh, thanks. Yes, belated at this point, but still yeah. nonetheless enjoyable. Still counts. Yes, it does. And of course, we are joined by our apple pie doodle dandy, the Yinzer who better fucking have a Yingling this time. Shots regular guy. Luke Franchuk. Hi, Luke. How are you? Hi, Zach. I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. You know. how's, 30, how's 32 feel? 32 feels a lot like 31. Not great all the time, but sometimes it's fun. Hey, while we're thinking about it, we should sing happy birthday, right? We're not or, singing happy or, birthday. Or Kelly has to go. <laughs> well, that's the lineup so far. Uh, now, what's everyone drinking tonight? We'll do a quick run around because I want to get to the point where I don't have to deal with this uh, planned stuff anymore. So... Colin, you were first in. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking uh, Rangpur gin. That's all gin? With, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Tangeray with uh, Rangpur uh, flavoring. It's just lime, I guess, and botanicals with uh, 7-Up. Okay, okay. I was going to say, that's a lot of fucking gin. Like, even it for is. me. Well, it was, I started about an hour and a half hour ago. Well, you know. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Kelly, what are you drinking tonight? For you, I'm having some Portuguese wine, a little of that rosé. Oh, uh, what okay. is it, Seastone? Oh, sea stone rosé. Yeah, Vina Verge. I love a rosé. I almost bought a rosé Vina Verge. Since Kelly said that, I'll say what I'm drinking. Kelly, it's that one I was telling you about from Trader Joe's, Asperial. Oh, yes. Uh, Vina Verge, a white, delicious Portugal product here, product of Portugal. Asperial, $4.99 a bottle at Trader Joe's. And it is one of the best that I've had. And Luke, are you disappointing us tonight or are you just back to regular? Uh, I am drinking an ice cold traditional yingling lager <laughs> from America's oldest brewery in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. I love it. It's like, I, I, I think for me, that's more a staple of the show than the song sometimes. Well, quick shout out to all our Patreon drinking buddies, as well as our patron of the arts, Courtney. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you're enjoying all the great bonus content that we have been putting out there. Listeners, if you enjoy the show and find yourself wanting even more DGMH, then follow the link in the show notes to get access to even more great content and help keep the show going in the process. Well, I guess let's just get to it, huh? This isn't going to be your typical episode. In fact, for any first-time listeners, this would be what we consider part of a bonus season uh, where we aren't covering a great mind, but we will be back to normal next month with our next great mind, Catherine de Medici. Tonight, we are not debating greatness, as we all know that I am fucking fantastic and an excellent leader and, well, you know, very entertaining. If only we rated people for their looks, too. Uh, so it's my birthday special, and I'll fucking drink if I want to. But first, who's singing? Because it's not me. 
I guess it's my turn. Right? Cullen is singing. The brave, the bold, Cullen Farrell singing the song. All right. Happy birthday. Don't to sing you. happy birthday. Sing that. Happy birthday to you. All right, now I'll sing a, a serious song. It's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. Happy birthday to me. Yay, cheers. You. Woo. <laughs> okay, so what the hell are we doing tonight, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, I, I know you said Portugal, which makes me happy. But for our listeners, what's well, the plan? What are we doing? For, when, when you ask birthday questions for us we all feel like we're put on the spot so oh. tonight oh, really chance, tonight's our chance to put you on the spot i let you pick the topics i let you put the discussion <laughs> i'm just sitting here and listening to you guys but i'm putting you on the spot Meanwhile, you tell me pick a topic portugal and you get all okay yes but i feel like the difference is i'm just having a conversation with you guys for you guys yeah, yeah. it's like you're out to get me and that's how i feel oh. You're no. out to you're out to stump me. I think I don't know. We were saying on the golf course the other day. Luke and I were talking, and we said how much preparation and you know effort you put into making these shows. We just show up. So to be honest, you know, we thought this was kind of a nice uh, you know chance for us to let you just show up and not have. And to I prepare. did. I did. I put ten minutes of prep into this episode. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God the Olympics are over. Luke will actually pay attention to the podcast this time. Well, closing ceremonies are going to be on in about a half an hour or so. <laughs> Leave them off. Press record. DVR. It's a fucking closing ceremony. Oh yeah, my God. So what's the plan? Games. You're gonna. So so what's what's the deal? What are we doing? What well, maybe doing? Kelly should start since her her time is pressing, and we'll just get what round robin one question each or something. I we're don't. just we're just asking you some questions, Zach, that have focused on past discussions. That's okay. all. I will I will wing in a prayer it, and it's gonna we're gonna chat and debate things too, right? Like I'm yeah, just me yeah. talking. Okay, okay. Sure. Well, I was gonna start with a softball for you. Yeah. Oh, uh, hopefully, sports. If you could have a drink with any European monarch, who would you choose and why? Ooh. I feel like that that answer is always changing the more I research people. Uh, at a time, I would have said uh, Louis the Fourteenth, but I feel like I would have too many rules to follow. I, in all honesty, it's gonna be it's gonna be Charlie too, Charles the Second. He's a party boy and he knew how to party. Uh, so as far as European kings queens go, yeah, I'd want to be at that party. I think. Plus, he's got stories to tell. They all do, I guess. What about one we have not covered? shit um, <laughs> good retort well i do love portuguese i do love portuguese wine so we'll pick a portuguese king the height of the portuguese empire jao the fifth that's who i would drink with other than of, of someone we haven't covered the the sun king of portugal believe it or not is what his title is so hmm. ruled during the golden age yeah so did he build a palace and everything mafra. else like yeah he, he's the one that commissioned mafra uh, which was a nunnery uh, or is that what it's called? A nunnery? A convent. Yes. A convent. A nunnery? Is that a real thing? A nunnery is, a, is another word for a convent. Yeah. Okay, a convent, yeah. <laughs> but now it's Moffer Palace, the yellow one, Colin. You've been to Lisbon, right? Yep, yep, the yellow yeah, one. Yep, the, the, you said the yellow one, one I knew when you meant. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yep. Real big, big plaza in front. Well, is that, Kelly, who would you drink with? Well, you're not a big monarch person. I know that these topics scared me. Um, <laughs> but after our last podcast, I would definitely say Charles. Oh, yeah. He's a rowdy boy. Yeah, he just wanted to party. Old rally. All right, Zach. My question for you is, where, where are my notes? Hang on. Notes. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Zach, in your estimation, how important was the restoration to the emergence of the United Kingdom as a global power? Jesus fucking Christ. How important was the restoration of the monarchy to the growth of England as a global superpower? Yeah. I, I don't know that it necessarily was in the sense that, I mean... Or, or was it important at all? I think it was important to reestablish the internal stability after the Cromwellian catastrophe. But internationally speaking, the Cromwellian state was kicking some ass. So I, I don't know, you know, the, what, the rise of Britain as a superpower be like the 1700s kind of thing? Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the British Empire is starting to emerge under Charles II. It really is, and I think by William III and by the end of the Stuarts, you know, it, it's it's something really there. And then by the the 
by George the Third, it's really a big thing. I mean, kicking off France. I mean, I guess it's pretty huge because without the Restoration, true constitutionalism doesn't take root. As interesting as that sounds, without the Restoration of the Crown, the constitutional monarchy that led to true constitutionalism in the United Kingdom or what will be the United Kingdom really, really was able to flourish. Uh, because under Cromwell, it was just a military dictatorship. Mm -hmm. um, and it could have continued going that way. In fact, they actually offered it to people to continue that way before they offered it to Charles. So pretty fucking important is going to be my formal final answer. Uh, Colin, you teach probably a little more on the British Empire than me. Do you, do you agree? I mean, I don't uh, really agree. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned about Cromwell and how he asserted dominance. I mean, He's he sure went into Ireland and beat the shit out of those mm -hmm. poor. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like. Then he did it in the colonies, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the colonies too. But you I mean, said, such a, um, I'm sorry. No, I just there's such a gap between the restoration and when the, when Britain really starts to rise. I think the the Stuarts after the restoration really cement Britain as an empire that's going to grow, but it's not a big, scary global power. That's what I was going to mention. You mentioned that, and that's a great point. I, I learned from you on that. I didn't know the Stuarts were the ones that started the Virginia colony and all that stuff. I mean, so yeah, almost every every kind of like seed of empire was planted during the Stuarts. 1600s yeah, yeah big time <laughs> neat big time so you didn't quite stump me luke but you really scared me there uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is just round one. Oh, great <laughs> that's true that's true yeah, thank god this is only round one <laughs> all right i'll go next you know i teach ap world and uh our essay question was on the portuguese entering into the indian ocean for uh navigation and trade as soon as you jumped into portugal i was like oh i got this is great because this is a subject that i i drill my students with here uh but it says the uh, one of the things i was interested to know your opinion with henry the navigator what a powerful influence on exploration um, he's one of the ones that really pushed da Gama and those guys into the Indian Ocean. What do you? What would you say? Uh, was it? Did it pay off for Portugal? I mean, what was your absolutely? Your so, uh, so Portugal is a story of rises and falls, and it's over and over and over again. Uh, epic rises, catastrophic falls, nothing in between, never uh, status quo. Uh, it's always like a, like somebody just ran. A marathon right is that like a cardiogram you know kind of thing As I'm, I'm waving my hand up and down and nobody yeah. nobody in the recording listening to this is going to be able to see me waving my hand up and down like an idiot but no um henry the navigator is probably Port at the beginning of portugal's first rise you know he, he finds the right people like gil ains to sail around the um cape of bohador or borhador i can't remember i have to see it in front of me which is the big big fat loop of africa at the top like the, where North Africa begins to round. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, and then, you know, from there, uh, you know, he's going to continue to push people further down the African coastline, establishing trade routes, of course, establishing slave networks and mm -hmm. a Fatoria system. And that bouncing down the African coast is going to be uh, essential to getting around the Horde of Africa. He's dead by that point. I mean, you know, the interesting thing yeah. about Henry Navigator is he never left North Africa or Portugal. But he built a school. He yeah, found the Azores, didn't he? Or somebody maybe well, he, so he Azores. commissioned all of these things, but he rarely okay. left. He rarely sailed. That's the cool thing. He found a school for navigation. I, yes, I he did. Way. Right on the westernmost point of Europe is is in Portugal. It's right there. Um, I think what is it, Sintra? Not Sintra, but uh, Sagris. Sagris. From there, this kind of no, this mindset of voyages really took off, and then his brother supported it then the next king didn't then the next king did and he died i think in 1460s uh maybe 1460 and then by 1488 they've rounded the cape of good hope uh by 1492 columbus has landed in the americas but really what the fuck was the americas for europeans uh until <laughs> silver was discovered it was nothing it was zero well, profit and the portuguese it was a barrier too it was a yeah. barrier to actually getting into to the east um, yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. It had to be conquered, and the Portuguese could just trade. And they had a, a simple system that was low cost. I think it was, I read a statistic that Vasco da Gama's voyage, first voyage, paid for itself 10 times okay. over. 10 times over, that first voyage. Every voyage wow. is profitable. Colin, do you want me to let this person in? Yes, please do. This is our mystery guest. So we'll mystery guest. Okay, I do not know who this is. Okay, mystery guest entering shortly. Andrew. Oh, you see the name? Andrew. Hello. 
Mr. Cheevers, how are you, sir? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm very well. Oh, what a mystery guest. Andy Cheevers, how are you? Yeah, I'm well, mate. How, how are you? Good. What time is it there? Uh, it's about uh, 10 a.m. Oh, that's not too bad. I, are you drinking? <laughs> well, just especially for... Um, oh, for wow. Oh, that's good. That's good. Cheers, Pretend you're at cheers. the beach. That's what that's what I do when I'm at the beach is uh, 10 o'clock's my drink start time. Otherwise, it's... Yeah, late. okay. Uh, so that's fantastic. Oh, my God. It's so good to meet you. That's a surprise. I'm sitting here like, Andrew, 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 Andrew. I'm like, oh. No, I was afraid you figured it out. Uh-uh. I did not figure it out. I, I did not. I did not see an Australian guest. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Facebook group contributor Andrew Cheevers has just joined us. And I'm going to have to ask him what he is drinking. Is it an Australian wine? It is, mate. It's a, it's a Campbell's, well, they call it a Topac, oh, if you oh. can see that. Wow. It's from... Um, Rutherglen in northern Victoria, and it's a um, oh, well, I was just reading about it actually. They they used to call it a liqueur tokay, but then they found out that it was uh, they were using um, grapes that weren't actually tokay grapes. Oh, wow, they just thought it was they were a hundred years ago because what they what they brewed up tasted like um, tokay, but it turns out they're um, they're uh, uh, French grapes. Oh, from oh, wow. the Saturn, oh. from Saturn, I think. Huh. That actually happened in uh, something similar like that happened in, in Chile. Uh, the Carmenare grape, which is a famous Chilean wine, uh, was a French wine that they thought went extinct, gone from the earth. And then they found the grape and these, they, the Chileans were like, this grape's really good. They invited some French wine experts to come over and they're like, oh my God, this is Carmenare, you know, and so Chile's most famous place. That's that's interesting. Wow, wow. Uh, so good to meet you, uh, Andrew. What a what a birthday surprise! This is something we've, yes. we've happy birthday, about. mate. Thank you, thank you very much. So you haven't missed much. Uh, nobody's managed to super stump me yet, but I think we were just talking something about. Oh, did it pay off? Uh, we Colin asked, did the Portuguese explorations pay off? Because they kind of cat catastrophically lost. Was the question at hand. And my answer was yes, initially, but it wouldn't matter because in 1580, Portugal became Spain. Uh, so uh, and they royally, royally, royally lost until 1640. And then they discovered gold in Brazil in the 1690s and they were kicking ass. And then they literally got hit by an earthquake. Uh, so <laughs> it doesn't really matter what happens. Great. If Portugal's doing great, somebody's coming to talk to knock them off their pedestal. But an Good undervalued, point. underrated uh, kingdom for sure. Did, did I answer your question, Colin? So yes, you uh, did. You have more more than uh, yes. Thank you. Did did Cheevers come with questions too? I told him the topics. Um, yeah. Look, I I uh, I don't know much about the Portuguese at all. No one does. Uh, <laughs> all I know is that they um, they colonized uh, a place called Timor. Yes, yes, uh, yes, Timor, yes. Timor Leste, which is quite near Australia, mm -hmm. um, used to be part of Indonesia. And um, a friend of mine, he is Sri Lankan, oh. and he has in his surname, you know, how they have these long barreled surnames in Sri Lanka. Well, one of his surnames is Don. Oh. And it turns out that his ancestors cooperated with the Portuguese mm -hmm. regime and they granted his ancestor this title so that would be sri lanka before that it was salon right That's yeah what, yes and then the portuguese colonized that first a lot of people don't pay attention to that fact the portuguese controlled uh, salon or sri lanka off the coast of the south coast of india that's where we're at right yeah yeah, yeah. and calicut too yes until they controlled that until the iberian union when spain took them over and then the dutch became portugal's enemy and they, they the, the dutch took parts of Africa, Angola, Brazil, and the, the Dutch East Indies, the British East Indies were born out of the Portuguese East Indies. But yeah, you're talking about yeah. Timor. Yes, East Timor, Duarte, the, the would-be claimant to the throne today of the House Berganza, he actually uh, was a pretty key instrumental voice in getting that last colonial territory of the Portuguese Empire free from Portuguese rule, East Timor. That's, that's cool. I never, that's fun. Oh, that so what other stumpers do we have? Well, I think Kelly's back up. Kelly's back up with not a softball, a hardball. I, I have to thank Colin for this because I said I'm petrified of these subjects and I know nothing. But Please. he reminded me that we do kind of have some 
similarities in our subjects. So, um, to what extent, if any, to what extent, if any, <laughs> this is a prompt. Um, is this an IB exam? <laughs> okay, what's the do question? Do you believe that anti-Semitism played a role in the expulsion of the Jews from Portugal and Spain? Oh. Or do you think there was another reason why they decided to expel the Jews? For that's a thinker. That is a thinker. <laughs> so from <Ferdinand laughs> <and> Isabella, Alhambra <laughs> degree. That's that's tough. At a local level, I would say absolutely. At a uh, church level, I would say absolutely. I don't know if it's anti-Semitism as much as it is paranoia, you know, which is rooted in the anti-Semitism there, but the paranoia and mm -hmm. this kind of like kill or be killed kind of mentality of well if i if i don't accuse someone i could get accused you know this fear of the inquisition to the point where it's almost like a hysteria uh for isabella i wouldn't say it was honestly mm -hmm. uh, for ferdinand i don't think he gave two shits he just wanted power for for isabella i don't i've never really seen her as like truly what we, what we by a modern standard would consider anti-semitic i could i i, I for me, I always saw Isabella as it was just another obstacle that she wanted to remove in her our way to power. Um, you know, I mean, in my mind, you know, you say anti-Semitism, your mind instantly goes to Adolf Hitler. And I don't think that's a fair comparison for Isabella because she's, I'm not making a man of her time, woman of her time argument here. I'm saying that those, the anti-Semitism took very different shapes and meant very different things in that period. You know, wow, that's a that's a but real with the promise breaking like Granada, like that was supposed to be hands off, like they were supposed to leave them alone. Well, those I were think. the Muslims, though. I mean, they hated them. I, I oh, mean, there's okay. no I Jews. I thought the Jews lived there too. No. They, well, the Jews, the, the Jewish population, the Muslim population were scattered everywhere. But the, okay. the, the, the peace of Granada protected the the Muslims of Granada. Okay. The, the what the the real concession there, the reason they were willing to make peace with Muslims because they knew that that meant that they could target another minority population they wanted rid of first, which was the Jews, because they were a, quote, corrupting force to the conversa population. So I, I, that's a good, that's a thinker question. Anybody want to chime in on that? Did I miss it? I think you said it best that there's a difference between the local level and state level. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the local level, definitely anti-Semitism, paranoia. But I was thinking more of the state level was more monetary because mm -hmm. they were forcing them out, but you couldn't take anything. So they could seize all of their property, businesses, and so on. They literally, the one thing they were banned from taking with them 100% was their gold. They were not allowed to take any gold that they possessed in a time where gold and was currency, and that's it. You know, silver, sure. But to make the Portugal connection, I mean, obviously many of them went to Portugal for a, for a hot second. Um, that's, a, that's a neat question. Wow. I don't know. Feel free to use it in your classes. <laughs> I, well, we kind of do. I mean, I don't really throw the word anti-Semitism out in my class that much because I don't want to confuse them because they come with notions of what that means from their world history classes normally. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just, just because the Inquisition is so unique in that sense, I don't want them to think it's like a Holocaust-y type thing, you know, because it's, it's, it's very different. Actually, far, 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 far less brutal so um yeah that that's my answer that's what i that's what i got okay i think it's my turn then right mm. luke wants to get me you can see it in his bloodthirsty <laughs> eyes he he wants to get me cheevers do you see it <laughs> well exactly which european dynasty meant more to european monarchies the Ooh. house of bourbon oh the house of stuart the house of Habsburg. Or I guess you could throw in the House of Braganza, too. Well, it's definitely not the House of Braganza. Nobody listening to this podcast probably knows who that is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe three people. Um, okay, wait one second. Now I'm, I'm confused. What do you mean? Like, who shaped European monarchy? Yeah, yeah. Which, which house was most defining? Yeah. Well, obviously we're excluding the entire medieval world because I can't speak to that. And if we're talking early modern... Certainly not the Stuarts. <laughs> they they kind of <laughs> dropped every proverbial ball, literal ball, every ball. Um, geez. I don't know, because the Bourbons kind of lost it all. And we've talked about this before. I don't know if losing it all means that you you did more to shape it or not. But probably, I mean, the House Habsburg is, I'm going to go with the House of Habsburg because of Spain. 
primarily, not because of Germany, uh, not because of the HRE as much. But I mean, about 400, 400 years there, right? Like 1500s. And every years. decision that a Valois and a Bourbon made was because of one thing Habsburgs on both sides. Uh, so that, that's, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go with the House of Habsburgs. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Habsburgs. They're funny to punch at, but you know. They're, 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 they really, I mean, Spanish Habsburgs are interesting. They had some good paintings commissioned, I guess. Spanish Habsburgs are very interesting. They are. Like that, that's an interesting branch of the family there. Branch. Or I don't know I if it's branch, Luke. If you're, <laughs> if you're fucking your cousin, I don't know if that counts as a branch. Like, <laughs> tree. Yes. Like tree um, without a branch. Like a bonsai a tree. Vine? A bonsai trees kind of like grow out and then back yeah. into the ground, kind of like. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, maybe it's a brand, it's a, it's a curved, I don't know, I don't know, how do you, what, what plant you use to describe <laughs> it in the, in the, <laughs> that's the I was going to say, am I right in thinking that the Bourbons took over from, uh, Valois? Yes, the Valois. They took over yeah, from yeah. the Capet, Capets. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not a medieval guy, but yes, that would be probably about right, because the Valois, I mean, they had been in, around for, for quite some time, but then all the French wars, they die out in the French wars of religion. Okay. And if you want more so information the... on that, listeners, next month. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, the bourbons are cool. I mean, I love Louis, but he kind of just shaped France, not everybody else. Like, I guess, I guess, I mean, I guess the bourbons did drive, a, a, you know, a couple centuries of tro- people trying to be like them. Two questions. First question for Mr. Cheevers. Uh, we are all four history teachers. What what do you do in, in the real world? Are you a history teacher as well? You seem to know quite a bit. Uh, no, uh, I'm a disability support worker. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's like a government, a government type. It's government private. funded. I'm employed through a private organization. Oh, well, okay. Mm-hmm. So where's the passion for history coming from? Yeah. Oh, it's lifelong. Mm. Yeah, for all of us, really. Yeah, I'm a I'm a stupendously overqualified disability support worker. I should say. Um, Is there an area of uh, history or focus that you uh, tend to gravitate towards? I I I shift my focus uh, according to what comes up and what Mm. I need to study. Mm. At the moment, of course, I'm doing a bit of Australian history for the the website, but I'm also looking at this thing called the dark emu debate which is a a debate about what aboriginal society was like prior to european oh wow yeah colonialism oh yeah Mm. it's a debate between historians and archaeologists and anthropologists so it's kind of a clash of disciplines i think is what's going on I mean, yeah, wow. and you kind of see that with like civilization, uh, pre-Columbian American civilizations too. I mean, with the Inca and the Aztec empires and Mayans and Olmec, etc. Study, you know, it's historians are limited by so much. Whenever you study those, Just, I mean, the Inca had no written language. It's true for many tribes in North America, and then you hit this this wall where archaeology and anthropology become almost more prevalent. Uh, yeah. to and and ex- excavations can completely overturn long-held beliefs by historians one, one single stone yeah. excavated single completely yeah, invention yes yep. it's amazing i mean really how how the digs in the the un- unearthing of history can change the way we understand it that's that's really cool. did you say yeah. you had another question Colin? yeah well that was my question to mr chief I'm, I'm i'm glad you weren't a history teacher uh andrew because there's really no history and there's no future in it so <laughs> uh, all right, my question. My first, well, the first ones they'll get rid of. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the second question I have for you, Zach, is you'd mentioned about Brazil, mm. and it's an interesting uh, story. I thought maybe you could enlighten the listeners or whatnot. But the exile of the royal family. <sighs> how did that all go down, and how did Brazil end up with a, <laughs> a transplanted monarchy? Does anybody because... else know this stuff? The, the, the what he's talking about. Okay, so, so quick backdrop, we're in the Napoleonic Wars. Napoleon's invaded Spain, he's about to invade Portugal. So the Portuguese royal family decides to hop on their boats, surrounded by British boats, and sail to Rio de Janeiro. Um, and this is Zhao VI, I believe, is who was uh, king. And okay. he will not be king for the whole time. Um, oh no, I guess he will be. Pedro, I don't know if it's, Pedro. 
Well, Pedro will be so it's basically. Coming. I think it's Jao the six when they leave, and then Jao the six comes back, and then Pedro is kind of king. But while they are in Brazil, they realize one very cool thing: it's great. They don't want to leave, uh, and even after Napoleon's defeated by the British and the Spanish and the Portuguese themselves, the royal family decides to kind of stay in their self-imposed exile until finally the Cortes or the courts or whatever the Parliament ha uh, says, "Listen, you either come back or you're never coming back." And finally. I think Zhao goes back and leaves his son Pedro in charge. But so much had happened in between there. I'm skipping over quite a few things, but Brazil was actually ele elevated to the status of an independent kingdom within the empire. So at that time, it would have been the kingdoms of Portugal, the Azores, and Brazil. All right, so they're equal kingdoms of equal footing, all ruled by the same king in the way that Scotland, England, and the uh, Northern Ireland, or back then Ireland, would have been ruled by the same king but separate kingdoms. So, so yeah, then it turns into Brazil. And that's pretty interesting. Uh, Pedro I of Brazil declares himself in the Bloodless Revolution, uh, named because it was bloodless, apparently. Uh, alongside a river, he declares that they are independent of Portugal, but leaves it open that the two might come together again. And then his son, Pedro II, is kind of the shitty one. He's the, like, slavey one. He's the one that welcomed Confederates to Brazil. But by that point, the Brazilian Empire is well underway. There's no chance of the two joining back together. By 1910, the Portuguese monarchy is dethroned. But yeah, they kind of just never really leave. There's elements of the monarchy in Brazil until the late 1800s, when it just is dissolved. And Brazil was also uh, tagged with the last nation to free the slaves. Yes. In 1788. 1688. 1688. Yeah, 18, 18, 1888. Yeah. We said, oh my gosh, 18, we keep yeah, going back. Too much gin. 1888, yeah. which yes. is a long time. <laughs> you know, a a long time, yes. And they had, and, but what people like to overlook is the fact that from 6, 1826 to 1888, two million slaves were imported into an independent person to work on coffee plantations. Wasn't it mining? Oh, okay. Mining in uh, Minas Gerais, mining, gold mining, uh, but those were dwindling, diamond mining, tobacco plantations in the in the mid, coffee plantations in the south, and sugar plantations in the north. Uh, that's wow. pretty much where we get. So, yeah. Thank you. No, well, I mean, I didn't... Don't get me wrong, there's a lot more. There's a cool guy named Thomas Cochran who's crucial in the independence of Bra uh, Peru, Brazil, and Greece. He was nicknamed by Napoleon himself, the Sea Wolf. Uh, he got so popular that he was decommissioned from the British Army. And he went and said, fine, I'll go help uh, San Martin and Bolivar. And then they couldn't pay him. So he sailed over to Brazil and said, I'll help you guys. He chased the Portuguese Navy all the way back to Portugal. <laughs> and then he came back for money and they couldn't pay him. So he raided some coastal islands and sailed away, showed up in Greece to help them gain their independence. And then... When they couldn't pay him, he raided some coastal islands, sailed away, and then Britain's like, wow, this guy's really fucking badass. Let's just make him uh, an admiral again. Um, Pirate. <laughs> yes, Thomas Cochran. He's he's like the history's great forgotten badass. Um, a very cool guy. So I hope I answered the question. I'm sure somebody that listens oh, yeah. to me, like, you really undervalued you the background. That's, I was, I'm just program. throwing you the pitch. Yep. They didn't want to leave. That's the best part. They didn't want to leave. They had to be forced to leave Brazil uh, after, uh, yeah, yes. Yes. But Brazilian independence, yeah. the seeds of Brazilian independence were actually planted about 100 years earlier by someone else that we could talk about later if, if, there's, if there's time. Other questions, said the narcissistic birthday boy? Uh, <laughs> uh, of the past great minds, Zach, who would you be able to beat in a fight? <laughs> wow. Good question. <laughs> well, I think there's two ways to answer that. Who would I like to beat in a fight? And who could I yes. beat in a fight? Yes. Um shit um i'd like to give old hamilton a punch in the face for sure uh I, I i would i would enjoy that but at the same time i think i'd like to give jefferson a little smack too i, I don't think i could take hamilton but i probably could take jefferson that's that's tough i don't know they all had their spry moments they all had their wiliness to them i mean i think that was what made them in the end kind of capable of being a great mind i might be able to beat up charles ii i i i think i could he would I think, probably be drunk. I think I could beat up just about every Stuart save Anne. Uh, so, <laughs> um, she she was a tough cookie, I think. That that's a fun that's a fun question. Um, and I just uh, perhaps add a, a factor to that in that mostly those royals were trained in um, in swordplay. Yes, that's true. 
Yeah. <laughs> and horseback riding. Fencing skills there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if there are swords, I'm tapping out from the monarchs. Now I'm sticking with Jefferson. I could beat up Jefferson. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, most people probably could beat up Jefferson. I don't think he was much of a fighter. Um, in fact, Luke, I was rewatching that Adam series, and I was just looking like so pompous in that oh, series. Yeah. The guy that plays oh, it, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And he's in something else, and it blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, that's. Blah blah blah, and I can't remember what it was now. The same actor was in Game of Thrones as uh, yes, Stannis he's Baratheon. he's uh, Stannis Stannis Baratheon. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes, I was like, oh, oh my god, I didn't know that. Yes, and I was like, what the fuck? But I feel like I have to take an opportunity to ask an Australian question here. And Chiefers, I got to say, those Australian great minds and the stories you're telling us on the Facebook group. If you are yeah, listeners, if you aren't by some magical force a member of that Facebook group, the conversations we have are great, and. What it once it's weekly, regularly, at least every other week. Normally, we see a a bit of Australian history come through. Andrew Cheever's longtime listener has you know become such a a key part of the show and a friend of the show, and now a participant in the show. Um, they're they're fantastic and worth reading. I, I learned I, I'm like dumbfounded by how I know nothing about an entire continent. Uh, like I, you know, I mean, I also know nothing about Antarctica, but you know. I know very little about South America. Do you think that's like a? Do you think that's because of where we are? Like, I mean, I know Americans are like, ah, we come from Europe. We'll learn that. We bombed Asia. We'll learn that, uh, and then we'll just stick in the United States. Uh, but I know I never learned South America until I became a teacher, honestly, because those are part okay. of my standards. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. That that's another continent that I don't know much about. What's your weakest point in history, Cullen? The thing you know nothing about. Uh, the United States. Really? You love the you love the Civil War. I do, but for twenty nine years I've taught nothing but world all that time. So, you know, you know I'd have to go back like thirty two years to when I studied American stuff. You know, um, so like the other day on the golf course I asked Luke about Andrew Jackson, you know, and I was I was like just the student and Luke was the teacher. I know, right. We we said we can't wait for you to put him on the show. So we can kick his ass. Yes, but he is so a fascinating time. Yeah, he is. He is. He, he is fascinating. He is. Yes. He is I fascinating. mean, he is. The POS curve is going to be off yeah. the chart. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah, he'd probably be up there with, I mean, yes, he falls into the I expelled people genocidal maniac kind of category. Yeah. Yeah. Just shy of stone. Uh, another yeah. question. For, another question for you, Zach. Okay. Did you ever think that your show would be where it is now? Say, go back over a year ago. I mean, when you had started this idea of making a podcast. So the what yeah, when I started the idea, it was just me talking about history, and then I, I, I talked to a friend of mine, well, a former acquaintance of mine, and he said, you know, I, I really like shows that have a conversation to them, and I said, well, shit, I started a podcast that was just me. And I said, wait, where's the rule that says it can't be both? Why can't one episode be conversational, one episode be straight talk? Um, mm. And then I've always wanted to evaluate the psychology of historical figures. And luckily, I have a wealth of friends to use and abuse. Did I see these friendships emerging? I No, I could have never imagined. I mean, I was friends with and acquaintances with everybody except for Chiefers. Uh, but, you know, the fact that we talk almost every day on the Facebook uh, Messenger, Colin, Luke, and Kelly, it's, it's, I did not see it taking that turn. You know, I mean, yeah, I think it's well, great. you're international. You have, what, 15 or, or what, uh, 1,500 people on the Facebook site? or Almost 1,500 right. people on the Facebook group, almost 1,000 on Instagram, and a steady listenership, you know, and a listenership that I'm proud of, and a, a growing international listenership. And I'm pretty sure we owe most of our Australian listenership to Andrew Cheevers, uh, word of mouth, which <laughs> is much appreciated. Keep, keep on spreading the word, everybody. I don't know if I, I, I don't know, you know, I sit here and think if I did a podcast again, I would do things differently. I'd have a better plan from the get-go. But I've had fun watching it kind of develop into what it developed. There are days where Cullen, Luke, and I'll be talking. I'm like, what if we did this? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. I was like, okay, then we'll do that. You know? <laughs> I'm just like, we don't have to play by our rules. We don't want to. And it's, it's, it's great. So that's a, that's a fun question. Hey, Kelly's back. There's Kelly. Okay. Crisis averted. The kiddos okay. discovered Aunt Kelly had disappeared for a little bit. Oh my gosh, I love it. I, I love it. Um, so they have trains now, so it's okay. They have trains? I love trains. Our like train? Thomas the Train? Our train? He's doing a show on trains. 
Are trains big on in Australia? Cheers. Trains. Uh, we have a problem with trains in that when the lines were being built, it was built by either the colonies or the states. I can't remember if it was before or after Federation. And they built them at different gauges. Oh. So if you travel, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah, a lot. It, it, like it the, really the was a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to travel from Melbourne to Sydney by train, uh, the last time I did that was a long time ago, you have to change at the state border. Oh, wow. So you get off the Victorian train at Albury, or you used to, and get on the train to Sydney from there. Wow. wow. So wow. are you a car culture then, an automobile culture? Yeah, very much. Oh, like the United States. Very I mean, much. there's so few places yeah. that really are. Most, I mean, mo I mean, really, if you think about it, Asia, I don't know about Russia, but yeah. most of Asia, yeah. most yeah. of Europe, I mean, it's, it's train based. It's, I mean, and I, I actually wouldn't mind that sometimes but instead of driving everywhere, but I do love my Jeep. If you're a backpacker traveling around Australia, you would probably catch planes. Oh, really? Uh, to go from place to place. Either that or the much better way would be to hire a car or a minivan or something like that. Huh. Very, very cool. Is that a common thing like in Europe, backpacking? Like, yeah. Australian yeah, there's a whole route down here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They form, backpackers form the backbone of our farming economy because they're the ones that pick all the fruit. Oh. Oh. And so we've been in a crisis over the past two years trying to get the fruit picked because there's no back backpackers. Wow. Oh, because of the pandemic. Oh, my because God. Because of the pandemic, yeah. Wow. So they just kind of bounce around from farm to farm picking fruit. Yeah, that's farmer. how they earn extra money. As they yeah. backpack. So you can Australia. fund your travel. That's awesome. Yeah. So, huh. Andrew, uh, Australia suffered from terrible wildfires. Was it uh, two years ago, I think it was, or... Yeah. Yeah. Were you were you near any of that or was that in your area at all? Um, you... Those were mostly I think in the the bush. Hmm. So um uh, less populated areas. And that's is that the northwest okay. or what? Uh South? no, it was uh it was in the southeast of the country. Southeast, okay, okay. Just trying to yeah. get where we're at here. But, uh, you know, they, a lot of them were in very inaccessible, a lot of the fires were in quite inaccessible country. So they burned for a long time. And and certainly wow. towns were threatened and a whole town got burnt. Wow. Uh, Malakuta, the big fires where I, where I live was it, were in 2009. And we lost something like 200 people in those fires. And that resulted in a, in a massive overhaul of our emergency response system. Isn't it sad uh, that an, a, a problem yeah. teaches us, you know, triangle shirtwaist, factory, anything. The, the, it's not until the problem occurs that we sit back and say, well, we need to fix this instead of planning ahead. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. So everybody else is in the same boat. We want to like pick Cheever's mind about Australia. And I'm going to ask a simple question that might be stereotypical. We just released an episode last Friday on phobias, a bonus episode with Sherry and I, and I, as a child, and not a big fan of them today, am quite the arachnophobe. Are the spiders really that big in Australia? Well, huntsmen's are. Okay. Um, are but the common? deadly ones, they you don't see them coming. Okay. Well, They're okay, tiny. So the, the deadly <laughs> ones are tiny, but the huntsmen's, the big scaries, they're, they're, they, are they common? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's like looking at one right season. now. <laughs> yeah, they, they're all around the house. Ah. Not now because it's oh. winter, but in 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 oh. season, they're great at keeping the insects at bay. I'm serious. They are the I insects mean... I want at bay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wow. No, so I they don't bite humans. The huntsmen. They're they're not threatening the humans. No, I mean they'll bite you if um if you're stupid. But you keep your distance. I'm raising my I would get bitten. I would get bitten. This way. Oh. Oh. Wow. The worst is listeners that we don't know is that as soon as we said, are they that common? Cheevers just looks up to the corner of his, his panel like <laughs> as if he's like seeing, is there one on the window? I don't know. I'm like, yeah. Oh, ah. Yeah. Wow. They, they usually hang, a, uh, hang out in the cracks. Uh, sorry, in the corners. 
oh. of uh, on the oh, on the ceiling. Oh, oh, and you're just like cool with that? Like that's okay? Like you just let him go? That's why I, I am. <laughs> I, I I like it, but um, I must say that's not universally the opinion in Australia. <laughs> okay. I would die. I think we're all dying right now. States like like Discovery Channel or whatever that will like tell the horrible story of some poor soul that in Australia that goes to just, you know, put on his shoe in the morning to go for a morning jog and they get bit by some spider, don't realize it. And a half hour later, they're like in the hospital dying of like of a central nervous system shutdown because this spider that they didn't realize was in their shoe bit them. Oh my God. Uh, there are just too many things. I love Australia, but there are too many things there that could possibly and probably would kill me. Yes. Oh, I would. I'd, I mean, I, I would have to be on like a super guided tour of things that don't involve spiders. Like, <laughs> uh, that's it's totally wrong. The amount of death, I mean, it's very, very rare really? for people to get bitten and not yeah. and not and suffer any serious consequences. You know, the the animal that's the most dangerous in Australia is the same one that's the most dangerous all around the world, and that's other people. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh yeah. Except for in the 1920s and 30s, right? It was the emu. Uh, so... <laughs> well, the emu war. We have to like do something with the emu war. <laughs> yeah. the emu war. I tell you what, the worst thing that could ever happen is teaching your students that the emu war exists because then it's uh, the nothing tops the emu war. Yeah. I'm like, no, there are a lot of things that top the emu war. Like, no, 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 no. The emu war was the best thing we've ever learned. I'm like, well, it's not on the test, so let it fucking die. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. Um, are there any Funny. more questions that we need to ask or want to talk about? One last one. Okay. Who is a great mind that you are afraid to approach or have on the show? Is there oh, someone oh. that you just <laughs> like? I will not to... cover on the show. Well, um, yeah, just for whatever, or either you're intimidated by them, or you you can't stand them. So whatever. I'm intimidated by names I can't say, but <laughs> I so Why? so like. Ancient Egypt, some of those scare me, even though people are like cover those. Uh, everybody always says Genghis Khan, and I'm like, I know nothing about Genghis Khan. You bring up these Asian rollers, uh, Chinese rollers, Japanese rollers, Vietnamese rollers, call it all the time. And I'm like, you say Princess Wu, I say Princess Who. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about that side of history. The big no-no, I, I pretty much won't. I, I'm just not going to say Hitler was a great mind ever right i i, I just won't i just nice nice don't want to do it however i'm more intimidated by covering people that are idealized than people that are horrific dr king terrifies mm. people that are put on the most epic of um pedestals and wow. i'd rather cover someone like thurgood yeah. you, you know I, i'm not big on covering the people the, the the back corners that no one's ever heard of i want to cover thurgood that you know but i want to tell you things that i learned about thurgood hoping that you are learning them too yep you know dr king is one that scares me because i i would not i would be worried about doing him justice properly you, you know because he's he's loved by so many and also people like jfk like i don't really want to cover jfk because he's just falsely loved by by so 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 many not that he doesn't deserve to be loved but you know what i mean like blindly mm -hmm. loved by so many those, yeah. those ones here. but hitler sucks ass he's a piece of shit <laughs> um, and I will, I, I, I will never say he was a great mind. I'll say Stalin. Uncle Joe won us World War II, but <laughs> he was a piece of shit. <laughs> Hitler. Okay, that, that's my thought. Kelly, Luke, Cheevers, any questions that came up? No, I'm out. I'm gonna get I just have one quick question. Just yeah. when did Portugal get Brazil? Fifteen hundred. Okay. Uh, Pedro de Cabral. Uh, the Treaty of Tordesillas, wasn't well, it? Well, it was theirs by the Treaty of Tordesillas, but Cabral landed there in 1500, and then by the 1530s, Jao III had begun a process of establishing what are called captaincies, which are run by, like, basically like little would-be nobles, captain generals. And the sugar plantations were a massive early boom, but they stagnated to the point where the whole colony was about to fail. Um, but he sent over this guy named Tomé de Souza, to kind of make it a powerhouse. And from throughout the entire 16th century, Brazil was the dominant player in the sugar industry in the world. Um, mm -hmm. Not just the spice trade, but the sugar trade as well. And that's where the mass influx of slaves first starts. But it's the, the 16th century Brazil develops as a colony and it continues to warp and change 
through the 17 and 1800s. Pretty interesting, yeah. Okay. Portuguese history is my favorite. It, it really yeah. is. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, please consider supporting the show by becoming a DGMH Patreon at the DGMH Patreon page. Follow the link in the show notes to get access to all kinds of fun, unfiltered bonus content. It gets a little uh, more wild on the Patreon episodes. I don't know why, but it just does. I hope you will consider leaving the show a great, hopefully five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As I say, it helps. No one knows how the fuck it helps, but it supposedly does. Join in the conversation at the DGMH Facebook group alongside all of us. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram to see how much I really do drink. So is anyone else doing a shot tonight? Oh, yeah. Since we were talking Portugal, I brought my Vale double espresso to do because of coffee. Brazil, uh, there's an ancient saying that I won't say. Uh, you can fill in the blanks. It says, um, no, no, I don't want to say it. It has to do with Brazil, <laughs> the importance of coffee, and those who labor it. And I'm not going to say it. But it is a powerful statement as the importance of coffee and slavery in Brazil uh, and the tragic relationship or um, unwilling coexistence between them all. Um, I don't know if Kelly's come back for a shot. Luke, what'd you get a shot of tonight? I have American honey. Uh, American honey. As American as apple pie. Cullen, you down in that Tangeray? The Tangeray rank four, and the reason the rank four is because Vasco da Gama and the Portuguese connection. That's why oh, I want to. Oh, yeah, that makes rank perfect four sense. Rank four is uh, part of, uh, yeah, I think it's. I think, I think so, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Yes, I don't There's know. not much luck, but I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it, whatever. Beavers, are you <laughs> shooting a little bit of that wine? Yes, mate. Oh, I've, okay. I've actually shot it. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, are you doing a, a, a taste of something? I'm doing my fire whiskey. Fire whiskey. All right. Well, hey, guys, thank you for coming on for my birthday special. For those of you that don't know, we do birthday specials all the time. Kelly's was the chaser to the Marshall Saga in November. Luke, Sherry, and Cullen will all have their birthday specials. Cheevers, when's your birthday? November, mate. Oh, okay. Maybe <laughs> even Cheevers will join us for a birthday special in November. Fantastic. Um, so there you have it. Uh, we've done our shots. Raise a glass to you guys. Thank you for being my friends and joining me on my birthday. It's been great building these relationships. And uh, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Zach. Happy birthday. It was a good birthday, Happy indeed. Birthday. Wow. Nice. All right. Well, that, oh, mm, yeah. went down. It hit me there. Mm, okay. <clears throat> <I'm sorry. laughs> cheers.